0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We all have questions, and we're all looking for the answers. But sometimes, navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our Asking for a Friend series, where each week, we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. Jesus, right now, would you would you join with me, Father? You are a holy God. I know we don't grasp it like we should, and so would you increase our understanding of what a magnificent and holy God you are. And Lord, in that holiness is wrapped up with your mercy and your love. And I know we don't grasp it like we should, so I pray it open the understanding of our heart today, so that we can truly adore you and reflect you. Draw near to you, build our life upon you. Lord, we come to you today with all kinds of things. There's people that have gone through a really tough week as far as their health. I pray you'd continue the healing work that you've done in their life. I know there's people that are worried about their family, some have been through some really difficult seasons. Assure them of your involvement and your long patience. In your thorough work that you will be faithful to complete the good work that you've started. Lord, there's some here who are wondering what the future holds, and I pray, Lord, that you would assure them that you hold the future, and you will take care of every burden that's on their heart. So, Lord, may we stand on a firm foundation. May our hearts adore you even more as we spend time in your word now in Jesus' name we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. And thank you, worship team, for leading us. Uh, Some wonderful gospel proclamations in those songs. Thank you so much. Well, these next three weeks are going to be a lot of fun as we study God's word together because we've set aside these last three weeks Uh, or these next three, I was going to say the last three weeks of the summer. Oh, man, surely we've got more than three. Uh, But these next three weeks of the summer, to answer some questions that you have asked. So we did some polling on our social media um, over the last several months, asking people, give us your hardest questions. What do you struggle with the most when you think about the claims of God and the teachings of his word? And some incredible questions have come from that. We also were thinking through what questions have we as pastors been asked in the lobby, after services, or in our office as people come in and and share time with us. And we've compiled some of those. We took them to the Lord, held them up to him, and said, Lord, which ones do you want us to address? Uh, So we're going to address three of them. Um, I'm going to answer one today, at least give you some understanding of of how we can make sense of this. Uh, I pray that God would help you and process all of this because this is really heavy. Um, Next week, I'm going to be at a different campus. Another campus pastor from actually uh, Lapeer is going to be here because the campus pastor from Chesterfield will be in his campus in the Yeah, and the the pastor from Romeo will be at his camp. So we're doing a CP swap amongst four of our campuses. So that'll be a lot of fun. So I'll take the answer that I'm sharing with you to Romeo next week. John Dolkey will share that, his question and answer about John Dolkey. Does anybody in here know John Dolkey from Lapeer, Michigan? Can I see your hand? One, two... Okay. He's a character. He's brand new to the campus pastor role, just a few months in. So be really, really tough on him. All right? So here's, here's a bit of his story. This is how he shared that with us in a group. Some of you were there. It was a dinner event, and there was, I think, four or five of us campus pastors that had mics, and we are going to share a little bit what God was doing. And John was brand new. And so Pastor Chris Brooks asked John about the beginning of his experience as a campus pastor in Lapeer. He said, well, Pastor, it's really interesting because I was born and raised in Lapeer. And I never dreamed I would ever be a pastor of a church. He was the son of a pig farmer, and he just assumed he'd just grow up and continue to follow in the steps of his family. But about 13 years ago, God prompted his heart to invest his life into eternal things. And and he actually joined the staff of our Lake Orion campus. And he started as a student pastor, and then maybe four or five years ago, he took the role of the outreach pastor in Lake Orion. In fact, God used him in the school shooting um, in that region just, what was that, a year ago, two years ago, uh, to really do a wonderful work of gospel uh, exposure in that time. He was a part of comforting students and gathering the community together, just used by God in an incredible way. So God has been doing this incredible uh, change in his, in his heart. Well, the role at the Lapeer campus opened up, and we needed a campus pastor. And so the leadership talked to John about, John, would you be interested in going back to your hometown to uh, be a campus pastor at our Woodside campus? And he said, not on your life. <laughs> Who in their right mind would do something like that? They said, okay. okay. Uh, and so we continue to pray and seek us hard on that. And, and God led somebody else to that role, and they served faithfully in that role. And then, a couple years later, that person sensed God's call to lead in a different role in Woodside, and that opening came up again. So leadership went to John Dalkey and said, John, would you pray about serving as campus pastor in your hometown? He, he said, I'll pray about that. Long story short, God changed his heart, and he embraced the calling. and He's been serving in that campus for since about November, December. And so we, Pastor Chris asked him how that's going, and he said, well, it's interesting because not a week goes by where now I'm back in my hometown, and I'm, I pump gas, or I'm working, or I'm getting groceries at a restaurant. Consistently, people come up to me and say, John Dolkey, I haven't seen you in forever. What's going on with your life? And so he gives them an update and always rolls back to, and now I'm pastor of the Woodside Church in town, and that's when their jaws drop, and their eyes go wide, and they said, I would never have guessed you in that role. Well, his brother was sitting right next to me, as John's telling the story, Jim is also on staff, and he leaned over to me, and he said, yeah, donkeys, we got some skeletons in our closet." Yeah, I know what you mean? And I, So, oh, so I'd I share that story with you for two reasons. John's coming back. Just know, he's got st- skeletons in his closet. All right? But also, I want to ask you, if you've ever wondered that maybe some of the things that God has done in the past are kind of like some of those skeletons in the closet. you don't want anybody to talk about. Maybe let me pose it like this, the way some of you have asked me here in the lobby. Multiple people have asked me this question. Why is the God of the Old Testament so angry? Maybe if you've read scripture, you've come to that question of how many people died? And who did that? God did that? Maybe you grew up in church and heard the story of Gideon, how God called Gideon to lead his people um, to defend themselves against the Midianites that are coming against them, and how God whittled his army down to 300 people chosen to defend against 300,000 Midianites. Right, 300 against 300,000. How is this ever going to happen? You remember as a kid, hearing and cheering when the the Sunday school teacher said, and that night the angel of the Lord came and destroyed 300,000 Midianites. And as a child, you thought, yes, that's great. Now as an adult, you think, he did what? God did that? Or maybe you heard the story of Noah. And how God saved Noah and his family from this worldwide flood. You were so enthralled with that as a kid. Then you grew an adult. You're going to have a baby. And you thought, what should we do with the nursery? Hmm. Noah's Ark theme. Let's take the pastel ark and put him on there. And we'll put a cutout of a giraffe here. And a, a hippo. Two giraffes and two hippos. And a couple of birds. And raindrops all around. And things oh. Isn't that beautiful? But then you think more about the story and you think so, no one and his family were saved. What about the rest? What about the children that were on the earth during the flood? God just wiped them out? How many here are afraid of drowning? Can you imagine the whole world? experiencing that? Maybe you have a time in your life where you're reading through the scripture and you think, "Eh, let's close the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's open this up. And Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And the people are in a boat and the storm comes and Jesus says, peace, be still. And it is. Jesus encounters this woman caught in adultery and they bring her to her and Jesus said, the one that's guilty, let him cast the first stone. And we cheer and we think, yeah, I'm going to spend time in the New Testament because that Old Testament God, I'm so glad we can close that book and open this new one. Ever have any bad thoughts? Is it okay that we talk about that? Maybe even now you're getting a little nervous thinking, My kids are here. I don't want them to have any doubts. Don't don't raise these questions. But the questions are here. They're real. And let me also say, culture is asking these questions. Why would you believe in a God that would destroy the whole earth? Why would you believe in a God that would would save 300 and slay 300,000? In fact, here's the writing of a very famous book, that a lot of young people are looking to for their guidance, written by the noted antithetist Richard Dawkins. And he's, he writes this, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser a capriciously malevolent bully. Those are harsh words. And we certainly bristle when he says that the Bible is fiction. But is any of that true? Is God a bully? Is he petty and unforgiving control freak? So today, I just want to think about that question. Is the God of the New Testament the same as the God of the Old? Or is there, is there two different gods? Can we, cl- can we cling to one and not the other? Or are they the same? So, let's dive in. Did you have your Bibles? I don't know how that screen's going to work. We'll see. So, we're going to go to the book of Genesis. Because Genesis truly gives us the framework in which to read all of the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. It helps us understand so much of how God works through human history. And as we look at these, we're gonna just glance through a few of these chapters and I think you'll see God's character. You'll see his character in the Old Testament. We'll make reference to that character in the New Testament and I hope that you'll see this is the same God I hope that you see the God we sang about this morning, the God whose mercy is greater than the abundance of our sin. I hope that you'll see that from Genesis to Revelation, it describes a God who loves, who shows mercy, and who is good in his judgment. So, first of all, Genesis chapter 1, God created the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 22, we see that God's blessings reveal his love. We see that all through scripture. His blessings reveal his love. Look how he postures himself at the beginning of creation. Verse 22, God blessed them. This is man and woman. God created Humans in his image, male and female, he created them. And he blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. If you flipped a few verses to verse 28, it says, and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God says, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So God presents himself as a God that says, I have blessed you in so many ways and I just love doing it. He created humanity in his image He blessed them. He gave them all throughout this creation account. It's God's blessing and giving them. He created this habitation for humanity that isn't just utilitarian. In other words, it wasn't just this is all you need. He created it in a way that was very good. Not only does it meet needs, it's beautiful to look at. How many delight in so many things about what God has made that it's not just Useful, it's fun. Food. God could have just given manna for all of time. What do you need to eat? Nutrition. Here's manna. And we'd made, be amazed at first that wow, well, every all the nutrition's needed in these tiny little wafers. No, that's not what God said. No, I've given you every plant yielding if, if plant every plant. Seed yielding plant or whatever. I've given you all the garden that you can enjoy. You feel like apples? Eat an apple. You feel like asparagus? Eat asparagus. Brussels sprouts? If you want. But all these other things, it's all good for you to enjoy. This is how God loves to work. And we see it all throughout human history as God sustains the rhythm of His creation. There's Daytime, and then there's nighttime, and what happens after that? Daytime and nighttime. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Daytime and nighttime, because it's the rhythm in which God created the world, and it's good. Where he brings rain when it's needed. He brings uh, summer. He brings winter. Planets are orbiting in perfection continually, without fail, Everything's sustained. The water system evaporates and goes to the clouds. It rains and falls to the ground. It evaporates, goes up, and we, we absorb it. We exert it, and, and so many things. It's just amazing that God created a world so good. Whether you deserve it or not. Wasn't it Jesus that said, yeah, it rains. Isn't that great? On people that deserve it? And people that don't God allows the cycles of his world to continue to function whether you embrace him as God as whether you or whether you reject him as God you'll notice that followers of Jesus don't get better weather than followers of the devil now God designed his world why is that because he loves to bless he loves to bless his image bearers, whether they respond to his love or whether they reject his love. This, why is that? Because God is love. Let me say that again. God is love. That's what he enjoys expressing is his holiness through his love. Well, despite the love and blessings of the Creator, as you read through Genesis, you see that humans rebelled against this God of blessing and generosity. God had warned them, if you rebel against me, then death and destruction will enter the world. And that's exactly what happened. They rebelled. Destruction began to happen. And things quickly became terrible. People started accusing one another and going after one another. What was The second generation of humanity killed one another as Cain and Abel. And you know the story there. And it wasn't just Cain and Abel. That's what continued to happen more and more and more as humans multiplied. In fact, here's what it says in in chapter 6 in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. That's chapter 6. There was about maybe 1,500 years between chapter 3 when Adam and Eve rebelled to chapter 6 when this description is given. Over 1,500 years, the world spiraled, humanity spiraled in their wickedness and rebellion to the point where the author of scripture, the historian would say, the whole earth was filled with violence. Every intention and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And people lived a long time back then. So just imagine, the longer you live, the more evil and perversion you can come up with because you've seen it in our culture. The perversion happens, they embrace this, and that doesn't satisfy, so they embrace this, and that doesn't satisfy, so they embrace this. In a lifetime, think of it, 80 years of going after your own ways. Think of how desperately evil a person could get. Well, what if they lived to be 400 and 800? And you know what God kept doing? Blessing the world. Eat from my food of the garden. Eat from the plants. I'll send you the system of, evap- of, of condensation and evaporation. I'll still have my sun rise and set. And my seasons come and go. And the rhythms of beautiful creation continued despite of that. Despite the depravity of God's people, God was long in patience and continued to allow humans to experience the splendor of habitation he created for them. And he would describe himself in a certain way. If you were to fast forward through Genesis, get to the book of Exodus, you would see the story of Moses and how God called Moses to lead the people out of, out of slavery. Remember that story? And what a beautiful way that God stepped in and delivered them from, from horrendous slavery. He led them across the Red Sea. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. He brought them to Mount Sinai and he said, now I'm going to give you my law so you know how to live according to to my expectations for you so you can be a light to the nations. And here's 10 commandments summarized for you. Follow these ways. Moses took those from God. He etched them on tablets of stone. He went back to the people. And though he was gone only a matter of days, the people in that span of a few days decided, ah, that God that delivered us from slavery brought us across the Red Sea. Ah, I'm gonna worship a cow. So they formed this graven or this molded golden calf. And they began to worship the calf, saying, Oh, thank you, cow, for leading us out of slavery. And Moses sees them. He says, What in the world? He gets angry, he throws the tablets down. God calls him back to the mountain. Moses stomps up the mountain. And God says, Go hide behind the rock. Think of all that the people had done and how much they had rebelled after all that God had done for them in in, in such beauty and splendor and deliverance. God showed himself. Here's what it says. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Wait, what? Is that really who you are, God? A God that's slow to anger, and God says, I don't want to destroy these people. They're my image bearers. I'm slow to anger. I'm patient. I want them to repent. And in fact, this was such an aspect of his character that hundreds of years later, after all these things have happened, after you read through the Old Testament, you get through terrible books of the Bible, not terrible books, books of the Bible that contain terrible scenes of human depravity, like judges and kings and chronicles, just terrible expressions of brokenness of people. And the psalmist writes in Psalm 145, after I've seen all that and I watch God work, here's my conclusion. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That's what they conclude. How do they conclude that? Because God is faithfully showing patience, and mercy and you would say well yeah that's the God that I love and that's what I love about Jesus how his lifestyle and his reputation is one of eating with sinners and 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 tax collectors and how he healed the rich and the poor and the religious and the non-religious and how Jesus taught I say to you love your enemies bless them who persecute you pray for those who despise you. And we love seeing that about Jesus. If we allow ourselves to get fully honest with one another, we can see this expression of God in our own lives. And this is all good news so far, right? The way that he has, even though you've rebelled against him, how many here have never rebelled against God? Can I see your hand? Can I see your hand? Anyone? All right, good. We're in good company. And has God been good to you? In the midst of your rebellion and those times that you didn't think against God, he doesn't say, oh, I know what you're thinking. It's it's not how he works. I want you to know that the kindness of God, as 2 Peter says, the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. God's plan is that you would see his kindness, that you would see his generosity, and that would lead you to repentance. So if you would look around to your life and say, wow, things have been fallen to me in such a beautiful way, know that this is your creator saying, yes, that shows how much I love you and I'm drawing you to myself. May the blessings and goodness of your life reveal God's love to you. When I came home from college, one of my semesters, I learned that my dad had purchased a brand-new, bright red, shiny sports car. And there's a story behind all that, and it meant a lot to him. I had a special meeting, and I was very surprised on the first day I got home where he had the keys, and he says, Hey, I want you to take this out for a spin. Really? I lived in Comstock, Michigan. There's lots of rural roads. Great place to just open that thing up. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I took the keys, and he said, Now, hang on just need to know, 18-year-old Dan, that this is the kind of car that police like to look for. They notice it. And I don't want you getting hurt. I don't want you getting a ticket. So enjoy the car. Don't speed. I'm not going to tell you what happened. You're probably (laughs) wondering what's happened. What I want you to know is this was a dad reflecting the characteristic of his creator, and saying, I am blessed, I want to bless you. Part of my blessing is a warning to you of the dangers that are out there. That's the second characteristic of God we see in the story of Genesis that's revealed for us in the origin of the world. That's the biblical framework for how we can understand our world, is that number two, God's warnings reveal His mercy. God's warnings reveal his mercy. Chapter 6. After the world is described as doing being full of evil, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah is a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. There was one, dis- one exception to this description of, of humanity that had become so corrupt on the earth. That exception was Noah and God desired to express his grace to Noah so he informed Noah that his patience had run out for 1500 years God was patient is God a fickle eager to destroy kind of God 1500 years of patience is that fickle short-tempered e- eager to destroy no But God did say, this world needs to be cleansed. His patience had run out. He was going to cleanse the world, but he he was providing for the remnant of people faithful to him a way of escape, a way of salvation. And so God gave Noah instructions to build a boat, build an ark. This was God's mercy in action Humanity would have the opportunity to survive because of God's mercy. There's a New Testament reference that hints at this. 2 Peter 2 verse 5 says, God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah, a herald of righteousness. What was Noah doing during those days Times of building the ark was he, hey, don't bother me, city dwellers, I'm building a boat. No, according to Peter, he was being a herald of righteousness. It seems that he was given the task of sharing with the world this opportunity to escape God's coming judgment. So for 50 years, explaining to people that God was providing a way of escape. That God, because of His holiness, was going to bring a cleansing and because of a, because of His mercy, He was providing salvation. An opportunity for, to, for anyone to respond to God's mercy, to salvation. And This would be true of the God of the Old Testament. Consistently, if you read carefully the Old Testament, and you see the times that judgment comes, it consistently comes after a long season of God's warning that if you don't change, if you don't repent, judgment will come. Because His warnings reveal His mercy. His warnings reveal His love for us. Here's a truth that God declared through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 33, it says, As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now that phrase, as I live, declares the Lord. In other words, you can't make a stronger statement than this. God, the greatest of beings, says, as I live, on my word, I'm telling you, I don't have pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live so turn back turn back from your evil way because God is love he doesn't desire that any should perish but that we should come to repentance we've seen that we see this in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah right we we think of that as a story of God's judgment but think about his mercy where for decades and generations they received the blessing of God and His prosperity that continued to grow more proud and more abusive of their fellow man. They became more hateful and violent towards the poor. They became more perverse in their sexuality. And so God's patience run out. They weren't listening to His warnings. And if this would continue in this way, it could spiral just like it did in Noah's day to where all the earth was filled. And God, God says, no, I love humanity too much to let that happen. It has to be stopped. So what did God do? Destroyed it. No, no, that's not the story. God sent his angel to Abraham and said, Abraham, I need to destroy the city that's become so perverse. And Abraham said, Really? I thought you were a merciful God. God, if there's 50 people that repent, would you withhold destruction? God says, Sure, I will. Oh, what about 40? If if there's 40 people that repent, will you save the city? Yes, I will. Oh, 30. Would you save 20? 10. God, would, if, I, if there's ten people that repent, would you spare them destruction? God says, yes. It's as if he's saying, I do not delight in the destruction of the wicked, but in their repentance, yes, I'll spare them. So oh, Abraham went in, and he proclaimed God's warning, and proclaimed God's offer of salvation. And no one turned. Judgment came. Is it because God is a, a bully eager to destroy? No. God is merciful, and He shows that faithfully through His warnings, as He does consistently throughout the Scriptures. And we see it in Jesus. Right? It was Jesus, Matthew describes him as coming and going throughout the world, preaching the gospel. Every, he went everywhere, preaching repentance, warning of the coming judgment. This is Jesus. Jesus in John 3 says, He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. Jesus is the one that talked often of coming judgment. In fact, he spoke of hell more than he spoke of heaven. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Because he is a loving, merciful God that doesn't delight in destruction, but that humanity would repent and turn to him because our Creator, the Father, Son, and Spirit offers life. Third, God's blessings reveal his love. His warnings reveal his mercy. And number three, his judgment reveals his justice. Chapter 7, verse 11 of Genesis says, And in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day, were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Despite God's lengthy patience and grace and merciful warnings, the earth and all it contained continued to progress in their corruption. It gives every indication that if God did not step in and do something, even Noah and his family who were seeking to be faithful would be overwhelmed by the corruption in the world. It was on, humanity was on the track to utterly destroy themselves. You realize that without God's grace and his mercy, humanity, because of our depraved heart, will continue the progress of destroying one another. We destroy our children, we kill our babies, we kill the elderly, we oppress the marginalized, And then the people that are strong come to the top, and then they threaten one another and destroy themselves and threaten missiles and bombs and wars against one another. Without God's mercy and His grace and His protection, humanity will destroy one another. And God says, I will not allow this to happen to my people, to those I created in my image. And so God brought judgment to the world in Noah's day but spared Noah and his family so that humanity could continue to exist. Paul Coppin writes this, On closer inspection, God's anger does not reflect a self-centeredness. God's jealousy and anger spring from love and concern, not from hurt and pride or immaturity. His jealousy isn't capricious or petty. God is jealous for our best interests, His commands are given for our good. In fact, we only harm ourselves when we live for ourselves and create our own idolatrous God substitutes. His commands are for our good. His judgment isn't capricious. He just wants our best. God hates sin. And what kind of a God would He be if He didn't? Right? Right? We, we, there's something in our human heart that calls out for justice. That when we see people abused, we say, that's not right, that needs to stop. And so we even as humans have developed a ju- justice system because we know that's so important and it's not perfect. Even in our culture, we, I think we have the best justice system in the world. Still, it's not perfect, but it's coming out of a human heart that says justice is needed for our world. Where does that drive come from? It comes from our Creator. It is perfect in His justice. Genesis 9, verse 1, after the flood. God starts it over again. Interesting, it's eerily similar to the description of Genesis chapter 1. It's in chapter 9, it says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Oh, it sounds like a new creative work. Five verses later, God gives a new law and says, okay, so here's a new law because I see what you guys are bent on doing. So whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human shall this blood be shed for God made man in his own image. God's justice is seen in his judgment, his, in his love and value for humanity is seen by his protective care of them. But here's the thing. Humanity would need more than just another good law. We'd need more than just a new start. We would need a savior. And that's why God sent his one and only son, Jesus to earth, to take all of our brokenness and all of our sin upon himself and to be punished because what we desperately need is a new heart. Our heart's the problem. And God says, so here's what I'll do. I will cleanse you from your sin and I'll take your heart of stone and I'll replace it with a heart of soft flesh. I'll do a new work in you that can only come by your faith placed in the work of Jesus. And that will create a new humanity. I'll place my judgment on my son. He'll absorb my wrath so that whoever trusts in him can experience eternal grace and life. And some say, yeah, but I still like Jesus better Right, because judgment. I just don't like to think of judgment. Don't forget Jesus. What did we just study about the last three or four weeks, five or six weeks, in the book of Revelation? Remember, it was Jesus that comes. He'll come on a white horse, right? And his his thigh will be written faithful and true, and out of his mouth will come a sharp sword. He'll bring judgment to the world. Why is that? Because God is just. Oh, long suffering and His patience, not wanting any to perish. But God must be just. Sin must be paid for. And when we allow God to be our salvation through Jesus, we can experience not the wrath of God that we all deserve, but instead the grace of God that he loves to bestow on us. So there's this characteristic of God that theologians call immutability immutability it's the characteristic of God of unchangeableness that God cannot change that he is the same as it, as Jesus has described he is the same yesterday today and forever he never acts outside of his love and his mercy and his justice that God is unchanging in his being so the truth of the matter is yep the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the new. Jesus fully reflects the character of the God of the Old Testament. But many times we miss that because we see it so quickly. We look so quickly to those things, have these, sto- these thoughts, and think, ah, oh, I don't want to think about that. And so we, 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 we look back to Jesus. But I want you to know that from Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture is given by God and is profitable for us. It helps us understand what kind of a God He is. And I would encourage you to look carefully to the God of the Bible because He is not a misogynistic bully. He is not the God like maybe you've seen in the Marvel movies, right? He's not a Thanos who, who's just waiting with his infinity stones to snap and watch half of the world blip into nothingness. That is not a God that he is. No, this is a God that desperately wants everyone to come to repentance because he's created eternity for us to enjoy with him. So carefully look at God of the scripture and you'll see faithfully A God who blesses us because of his love. A God who's merciful by giving us warnings. And a God who's a just God, who's perfect in his demonstration of justice. I took this picture this morning. I think you have it. Do you have this picture that I sent you guys of my dog? Do you guys have that or no? No? Okay. All right. So I took a picture of my dog this morning. Oh, yeah, there he is. Okay, this is his favorite spot in the house because there's enemies in the woods. He knows it. And so this is what he does. He just stares out there just waiting for those scary deer to come walking by. Or worse, those squirrels that will come and eat the seed out of our bird feeder. So he just sits there and stares. And you know what? Sometimes he drives me nuts. If Russell, just leave him alone. They're not going to hurt anything. Well, here's the thing about Russell. He sees them when they come in. He peers, he's looking carefully into the woods so he can rightly see what's really out there. And as silly as this illustration is, I, this morning in my prayer time, I said, God, would you give me those kind of eyesights for you? In the midst of all these other distractions, would you allow me to peer through, even through the darkness, to make sure I truly see you for who you really are? Because sometimes I just buzz through life so quickly, I, I don't understand how good and deep and bountiful is the character of God. God, would you slow me down and allow me to peer carefully into your person as revealed in your word, So I can delight in all that you are." Is God the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yes, He is. He's good, He's gracious, He's glorious, and He's great. This is the God we serve. Ruth, come on up here. I I asked Ruth if she would just lead us in a song that you know really well. You hardly need any help to sing it, but I felt like this would be a good song to just revel in the reality of who God is. Do you know the song Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound. Let's stand together and let's just sing of this song. Let's revel in the character of God and all that he is for us. Lord, we want to peer deeply into it. We don't want to just skim the surface of who you are. Father, we want to be people that pursue you. Peer longingly into your love and your mercy and your justice. Father, you've grown in our understanding. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being a God that continues to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for being a God that never changes. Thank you for being God we can count on to work faithfully according to your character revealed in your word. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has kept them kept themselves away from you because of a misunderstanding or or a um, or distorted perspective of who you are, Lord, I I pray, Father, that they would come to the true one and true God. They would humble themselves before you. Would receive your mercy. They become your child. So Thank you for being a God that reaches out to us, that draws us to yourself. And may we welcome that invitation in our lives. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself today.